0: Fellowship. If you're a visitor, I'd like to encourage you to take a card that should be in the pew in front of you and share a little information with us about yourself and anything we can pray for, anything we can do for you, and drop that in the basket on your way out this morning as your offering. My name is Matthew, one of the pastors here at Faith Family Fellowship, and I just want to extend a welcome to you here. So we, by way of announcement, a few things going on after our. Uh, this gathering here will have a business meeting, and so if you're a member with us, please hang on and we just have a few things to uh, to discuss real quick and uh, And so then, this uh, coming week, so next Sunday night, we will have a prayer service together and so starting at five pm I just want to invite you to gather back together next Sunday night. In order to pray, to seek the Lord, to seek His direction, to seek what He would have uh, for Faith Family Fellowship, and so just want to invite you put that in your in your mind moving forward. Uh, that that is that is coming up next Sunday night. That you would uh, set that time aside, uh, to, that we would gather back together for prayer to seek the Lord. All right. So we have wonderful privilege this morning to begin our time together and rejoicing over God's work of grace in him bringing new life. And so if you would, direct your attention above to the baptistry.
1: Church family, good morning. So good to see you guys as we gather here on this Lord's Day. It's always special when we get the opportunity to come into the baptismal waters, uh, to worship together, to give thanks to the Lord for who he is, for what he has done, uh, for what he continues to do. In just a moment, we'll be baptizing Colin McVeigh, uh, as we heard last Sunday, just of the Lord's work in his heart and all that God has been doing. I want to remind us, though, as we prepare to be a participant in this moment, not merely a spectator, but a participant in this moment to remind us, what, what is this? What does this mean? Uh, what is this accomplishing? What, what is this moment of baptism? Baptism. We believe, according to the Scriptures, that this moment does not save a person from their sins. There's nothing magical about the water here. There's nothing magical about this space. Uh, So this is not a moment that saves a person from their sins. It's not that Colin came and said, hey, I want to be baptized because I know that being baptized will make me right with God. However, this is a glorious moment, a beautiful moment, as we are reminded together in a very visible and outward way of all that the Lord has already done inwardly, internally in Colin's heart. Uh, This moment is a beautiful symbolism as we see the person come into the water and then they are lowered into the water, coming out of the water, and that language that is used of death and burial and resurrection, it's a glorious, visible, outward symbol, display and testimony to the world of the person in those waters that they've come to a point where they've turned from their sins where they've called out upon the name of the Lord to be saved where the old self without Christ has died been buried and now raised by the grace of God to walk in a newness of life essentially beloved we are in this moment celebrating a very visible representation of the gospel and so what a, what a glorious moment for us. Maybe for you in this moment. You might even reflect on your own conversion. You might even reflect on the Lord's sovereign grace in your life. As Colin comes and joins me here, let's continue to worship together and give thanks to the Lord for all that he has done. Well, my good friend, Colin McVeigh, if you were here last Sunday, uh, Colin came forward to stand before you and to make known to you what the Lord has been doing in his life. But just to remind us of what the Lord has done over really a a, a long season now, many weeks, many months uh, of Colin talking with with Wyatt and Daisy and and just back and forth about about the Lord and, and the gospel, Colin coming to a place where... He understood that his only hope to be saved, to be rescued from his sin, that his only hope was not in just merely coming to church, not merely knowing some things about the Bible, but that his only hope was to turn in repentance of sin to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And So after talking with Wyatt and Daisy through that and us spending some time together, we come this morning Again, to declare that Colin is here because of the work of God already done in his life. Church, we also, as we give witness to this moment, we are saying to Colin, that Colin, we rejoice with you and that we commit as you have committed, we commit to come alongside of you and to help grow and disciple you into into a Christ follower who loves the Lord Jesus Christ and makes His name known. So Colin... With those things being said, let me ask you just a few questions here. Colin, have you come to a place in your life where you have turned from your sins and trusted in Jesus Christ and Him alone for your salvation? Colin, let me ask you before God and these people, have you committed in your heart before the Lord to follow the Lord Jesus all the days of your life? Colin, based on your profession of faith and the grace of God, upon your life, it is my great joy, my pleasure, to baptize you today, my brother, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in baptism, and raised to walk in a newness of life. (laughs) Church, this is but uh, uh, an opening to our worship this morning. As we continue in worship, as we continue to give thanks to who the Lord is and what he has done, would you stand together as Alex begins to lead us in song this morning. Let's continue in worship.
2: And wonder how he, he could love me, love me. a, a sinner, sinner condemned, I flee. Garden, He prayed not my will but Thine. He had no tears for His own grief, but sweat, drops of blood for mine.
3: Amen. You guys can just remain standing. Uh, (laughs) Gotcha, didn't I? For the reading of God's word, we're going to be reading from Romans chapter 6. If you have your Bibles and want to turn there, Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? By no means. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Please be seated. You guys, uh, please join me as we go to the Lord in prayer. And I encourage you, if you, if you want to come to the altar, feel free. Uh, pray right there at your seats. Um, but as we continue to worship the Lord, let's do so in prayer. Heavenly Father. Thank you so much, God, for your word, um, this word that was given through the Apostle Paul, um, which provides us rich, rich foundational truths, Lord God, for our lives. Um, thank you, Lord God, for this place, these people where we can come and worship you in freedom, truth. Uh, Lord God, meet with us today. Lord, I pray for the lost, the unrepentant, um, the ones that are blind to their own sin right now, deaf to the world, to the word, Lord God, unable to understand, Lord, I just pray, uh, if there's one here today uh, that does not know you, God, that they would come, come to you in repentance. Um, and Lord, for the Christians here today, the believers, uh, anyone that might be returning to their old sins, Lord God, as the word tells us, why would we do that? Um, if they're delaying obedience to your word, Lord God, I pray that your word exposes exposes that sin, Lord God, and that they return to you. Lord, for anyone here that's experiencing loss, uh, unbelief, wavering faith, Lord God, strengthen us. Uh, give us your faith. And finally, Lord God, for the ones that are going to come and teach us today, for Pastor David, just, Lord God... Pray that you, your spirit fills him, fills this place today, that you speak to us. Give us your word today, Lord God. We need to hear from you. These things we pray. Uh, your name, Lord God. Amen.
2: Emily, let's uh let's stand as we continue in worship through song. blood and righteousness, and I dare not trust the sweetest rain. No mm-hmm. his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. Oh in His righteousness alone. Fallless to stand before the throne. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the same. This has been satisfied, he will hold me fast, raised with him to endless life, he will hold me fast, till our faith turns into sight, when he comes at last.
3: loves me so.
2: He will hold me fast. And He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves
0: a great song. What a great reminder. So the scripture we're going to look at this morning from Zephaniah is just a good reminder about the goodness of God. And so let's recite it out loud. Remember, this is a memory verse, and so our hope is that you will commit it to memory like the Proverbs say, that you will chisel it upon your heart, that it will be chiseled as if in stone, upon you that will rest with you for your whole life. That God's word would direct your steps, direct your thought, direct your mind, and direct your life. And so more so than just a repetition, an exercise, the intention is that this word of God would be part of us, part of you, part of me. And so let's recite it out loud, if you would follow with me. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Zephaniah 3.17 So, just as that song we just sung, it is the Lord who will hold fast his promises And who will keep his people. As we looked several weeks ago, this this is phenomenal words of promise from the Lord. But it is not because we are such phenomenal people. It is because of God and his faithfulness. He is the one who makes the promise. He is the one who is faithful to keep it. We cannot lose it if we are in Christ. If we are in Christ, we are a new creation. We are remade and we depend upon him we cannot lose his goodness, his grace, nor his work. And so he will bring it about. Therefore, he rejoices over us because of him and his goodness. He will quiet us by his love. Amid times of difficulties, roaring of circumstances and situations, He will, by his loving kindness, his faithfulness, his goodness, will quiet us. To be reminded, we are here because of him. We have a tomorrow because of him. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. God, I thank you for your goodness in Christ. This word that you gave Zephaniah, that you gave to him to pen, that was preserved, that is given to us, That speaks of who you are. Lord, I hope that that accords with our experience of you. That we can see in what you have done in our lives, your goodness and your grace, Lord. That we, we can see your character, if not, reveal to us, God. Reveal to each of us this morning your grace, your grandeur, and your glory. That we would see you high and lifted up and we would see you for who you are. God, would you remind us of your goodness, Lord? Would you quiet our souls and our hearts, Lord, in times of difficulty, suffering, and struggle? Would you help us to find in you peace as we cast our anxieties, our needs, our moments of desperation upon you, and that you, Lord, would be with us and would apply patiently your goodness in our lives? God, we thank you. We ask, Lord, that you to be with us over these next few minutes, that you would speak to us. God, we would hear from you in your word, and we would hear from you clearly of who you are and what you have done for us in your son,
1: Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Church family, let me invite you to join me in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3. Matthew, chapter 3, this morning, verses 4 to 10 is our text. Matthew, chapter 3. Verses four to ten. What a just a special morning. Observing baptism together, coming to receive grace upon grace from the Lord, to sing of his goodness, his grace, and his mercy to us, and to remind ourselves that we will make it safely home, not because we will keep ourselves, but because he will hold us fast. Matthew chapter 3 this morning, verses 4 to 10, just a brief reminder of what we saw last week in verses 1 to 3. We were introduced last week to the life and the ministry of John the Baptist, and we saw some aspects of his ministry that we sought to readily apply to our lives. Number 1, in verse 1, we saw that John's method of ministry was the preaching of the Word of God, and so we... As preachers, we as Christians are called to proclaim, to make clearly known the word of God. Secondly, in verse 2, we saw that the message of John's preaching is that, summed up in one word, is that of repentance. Turn away from your sin and turn toward the Lord Jesus Christ. More on repentance in our text this morning. And then in verse 3, we saw the model of ministry. That is set before us there as we, the church, are called to go out into the spiritual wilderness of our day to make people ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a task that we must take seriously and it is a task that we must not neglect. So we continue in our study through Matthew's Gospel, coming to the next verses here, verses 4 to 10. And we're just continuing to see this morning John's ministry unfold here before us. We are introduced for the first time in Matthew's Gospel. We're introduced to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're going to be the sort of enemy of Christ, if you will, over the coming years of Christ's ministry. Once again, we come face-to-face so clearly laid out for us in Scripture. And my prayer all week and leading up to this morning has been that we would have eyes to see and, and, uh, and, and ears to hear and hearts willing to obey what is so clearly set before us as we see once again the nature of a true, genuine, saving faith. Church, church family, what is before us in the text and I would just continue to call our attention back to this as one central theme, one central reality. And the points of the sermon that are coming are going to keep pointing us to this central reality. I want you to hear this if you hear nothing else, that neither spiritual activity nor spiritual lineage can save us from sin. Spiritual activity Meaning just kind of showing up here this morning and doing some spiritual things that cannot save us from sin. Colin is not born again this morning because of Wyatt and Daisy's faith. Spiritual lineage cannot save us from sin. Only a genuine faith in Christ, evidenced by repentance of sin, can save us from sin that sin i think you'll see this so clearly in the text before us pick up with me in verse 4 as we read the text this morning now john himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locust and wild honey then jerusalem was going out to him and all judea and all the district around the jordan and they were being baptized by him in the jordan river as they confessed their sins But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham, the acts." is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What we see before us are some truths here this morning about those who are genuinely born again. What are some identifiers of someone who is truly born again, I want us to see together three truths of those who are genuinely born again. And the first truth is this. Those who are genuinely born again will desire to publicly confess sin and publicly identify with Christ. So those who are genuinely born again, there will be a desire to publicly confess their sin and to publicly identify with with the Lord Jesus Christ. Look in verse 4. John, we're reminded here of his attire, of his diet. He had a garment of camel's hair, leather belt around his waist. His food was locust and wild honey. Why do we get a verse describing John's clothing and what he's eating out there in the wilderness? This exists to show us Something very important about John. John is not one who is safely tucked away in his nice, posh home, overly enjoying the niceties. Of his day. He has gone out into the hard places. He has gone out to where the lost people are and he is proclaiming the message of repentance from sin. He is sacrificing, he is following the Lord in obedience, and he is not ashamed. To do all of this for the sake of publicly identifying with Christ. This is not in secret. It is not in hiding. It is not merely this individual thing that exists between John and Jesus and nobody else. And I would just remind us at the very outset of this this morning, beloved, that it is incumbent. Do not miss here. It is incumbent upon every single individual in this room to come to a place where you have turned from your sins and turned to Jesus Christ for salvation. But that is about where the individuality of it all stops. Because once a person is born again, there is a call upon their lives to publicly make that known. To confess before men. To stand before the church and be baptized. To go out into the world identifying as one who is in Christ. It is not as the country song says, you and Jesus just have a good thing going. It is lived out in the corporate public context. And John, even in his appearance and in his diet of verse 4, is pointing us to the reality that as we seek to live out the gospel in our lives, that's going to be done leaving behind the cares and, and, if necessary, the niceties of this world to go out publicly and make Christ Known, Jesus would later ask in Matthew chapter 11, verses 7 to 9, he would ask this question about John and John's ministry What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' palaces. But why did you go out? To see a prophet? Yes, I say to you, and one who is more than a prophet. John coming in the spirit of Elijah to go out to call people back to the Lord. And he calls them to do this in a very noticeable, a very clear, a very open and overt public kind of way. Look in verse 5. Jerusalem was going out to him. And all Judea, the region of Jerusalem, all the district around Jerusalem, the Jordan. And I want you to notice a couple things about the language here in verse 5. Jerusalem was going out. And notice in verse 6, they were being baptized. The the tenses of those verbs are in the imperfect tense in the Greek. And all that that means to us, it, it sets a picture in our minds of what's happening here. It is a continual line of people that are leaving Jerusalem, they're coming out from their homes, they're coming out from this greater region of Judea and around the Jordan. And the picture that Scripture's pointing for us in this moment is of just a constant line of people. It's like John doesn't even have time to get out of the Jordan River because there's just constantly people coming. John is preparing the way. He's calling out this message of repentance. in church, I'm just telling you, I'm reminding you in this moment that when we preach the word of God, God will do His work. God will save His people from their sins. We don't have to fret about that. We don't have to wonder about that. We don't have to change the message to make it more attractive. When the call of the gospel goes out, God will bring His people to Himself. And so over and over and over and again they come, and they're being baptized in verse 6 by John. What, what is... This? What's going on here? It's the first time we've seen this word, certainly in the New Testament. It's the first time, frankly, we've seen anything like this among the people of God. What is this baptism? We get our English word baptize or baptize from the Greek word baptizo. The word means to immerse, it means to. Submerge And We believe not only in the necessity of baptism as an outward display of inward salvation, but maybe more specifically, because the Bible gives very clear instruction and word on this. We believe that is that the mode of baptism is important, and it is that of immersion, of being fully submerged in the water, identifying fully with the death, the burial and the resurrection of the Lord jesus christ as they're being baptized what's happening here what's going on in in their lives is this moment the moment of salvation for them meaning that they go down into the water and then by the act of baptism they are saved well we said earlier that that is not the case when it comes to baptism baptism dear dear saints is not a salvific work again there's nothing magical about that water, about that space. It is a declaration of something that has already happened in one's heart. And for the Jewish people, they're not terribly unfamiliar with this act of what appears to be a, a washing. There are lots of ceremonial washings that take place among the people of Israel. However, it, it, it's not that either. It, it's more than that. This is not just merely a ceremonial rite or purification so what is then this sort of new on the scene spiritual activity of baptism well in short the baptism of john in verse 6 along with the baptism that we saw this morning is not a work that saves it is not a work that somehow magically washes away one's sins but it is an outward declaration to the rest of the world that that person being baptized has turned from their sins and placed faith in God through his Son, Jesus Christ. One commentator said this, as John baptizes those who came to him, he binds them to a new life symbolized by immersion in water. And what John is doing in verse 6 in this baptism is that he is ushering in a new day that calls people to repentance of sin and faith in Christ and to display that publicly through baptism. But I want you to notice at the end of verse 6, what else is taking place there? They are coming to be baptized as they do what? And this is of most importance, dear church. They come confessing their sins. Without this, the baptism is pointless. Without the confession of their sin, an acknowledgement of their sin, without that, they're just taking a dip in a river, and there's absolutely nothing to proclaim if there is not a confession of sin. As the people come out to John, they hear his call to repent. They are convicted. They come to a saving faith and they are called to a public confession of sin and a public act of baptism. Do not miss the public reality of this. What is happening in this confession of sin? What does that word confess? What does that mean? What did it mean here? What does it still mean for us? Uh, The word confessed here, verse 6, throughout the New Testament, it's a three-part word, actually. And it's comprised in that way so as to fully encapsulate all that confession is. And the word means to agree together with God regarding our sin. Or to maybe say it another way, to Agree or to say the same thing as God says regarding our sin. What does God say then about our sin? If we're going to rightly confess, if we're going to be a confessing people, then what are the things that we must say about our sin? Well, just a few things. God says about our sin in James chapter 2 and verse 10 that it renders us lawbreakers. In Isaiah 59 and verse two, God says about our sin that it has separated us from a holy God. God says in Ephesians 2:1, that our sin has left us spiritually dead. God says in Ephesians chapter two and verse 12, that our sin has left us hopeless and without God in the world. God says about our sin in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3 that our sin has left us as children of wrath. And so then, if we are going to be those who confess our sin, we then must say the same things about our sin as God says about our sin. We must be in agreement with God and what He says about it in His Word. I am afraid that most certainly in our culture, and I am even more afraid that in some places in the church in America, we gloss over our sin and we stop even using the language of sin. One prominent false teacher in our country has in recent years said, we don't need to tell people about their sin when they come into our buildings, they already know how bad they are. And the problem with that is that sin blinds us and it destroys us. And we can't possibly know unless we are being told and shown from the Word of God. And if we are going to be right with God, we must confess our sins to Him. Friends, sin is not just a mistake, a mistake is when you drop the milk. Sin is an offense against a holy God. And so then, we must talk about it in that way. We must, when we confess, say to God things along the lines of, God, I've broken your law. God, my sin has separated me from you. It's more than just a slip up. It's an offense against God. His holiness, His holy law. If we do not confess our sin in this way, we cannot hope to be forgiven of that sin. Until we come to a right understanding of what our sin is and what our sin has done to us and our relationship with a holy God, we cannot expect to be forgiven and cleansed of it. David in Psalm 32 and verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you did forgive the guilt of my sin. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13, he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. You know, first John chapter 1 and verse 9. We confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As the people come to John, they come not merely just to fulfill another spiritual duty. They come in confession and repentance of their sin. They acknowledge their sin. They acknowledge their faith in God's provision to be saved from that sin. And all of this done publicly, out in the open, because what Jesus would later say in Matthew 10, verses 32 and 33, Everyone, therefore, who will confess me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever will deny me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Church, have you confessed your sins? Are you confessing your sins? If you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, it is incumbent upon you that you understand rightly what Scripture says about what your sin has done and that you make it known to God and that you turn from it. And when you do, dear friend, you will find grace, mercy, and refreshing from the Lord. Church, for us as saints, confession and repentance is not a one-time thing that we do at the moment of our conversion. It is the ongoing reality of our lives. Are we confessing rightly before God our sins? Look secondly, though, second truth of those who are genuinely born again, they will demonstrate an ongoing fruit of repentance. They will demonstrate an ongoing fruit of repentance of repentance. Look in verse 7, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Like John's not going to win, you know, citizen of the year by that in verse 7. Um, John just got canceled by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Why so stern, John? Why such Why such hard language toward these Pharisees and Sadducees? Jesus, by the way, is going to take up that same language in Matthew 12, 34, Matthew 23, verse 33. So it's not just John. This is going to be regular language used toward the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Who are these people, by the way? Both of these groups are part of the Jewish ruling body, the Sanhedrin. They were generally opposed to one another, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The only other time that you see them doing anything together is later in Matthew's gospel when they come together to put Jesus to death. They both believe wrong things regarding the law of God. They both did not believe the right things about the law of God. Both groups either added to or took away from the law of God. Both groups were extremely hypocritical. Later in Matthew 23, Jesus reserves some of his strongest language for the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And as they come out to John, John is keenly aware of who these people are. He's keenly aware of their hypocrisy and he calls them out on it. John knows that they are not coming in repentance by faith. John knows they are not coming to confess their sins and make themselves right with a holy God. John knows that they don't care anything about a public alignment with God through baptism. So John calls them in verse 7 what? You brood of vipers, you offspring of vipers, vipers in that desert area. There's a small kind of desert snake. They're deceptive in that they camouflage themselves to look like a, oftentimes a stick. And when you go to kind of reach down to grab it, it quickly in a deadly manner strikes. The Pharisees and the Sadducees had the outward appearance of righteousness, but they were dangerously hypocritical. And then John asked him at the end of verse seven, "Who warned you?" to flee from the wrath to come. Or maybe to state that in another way, who wrongly told you that you could escape the coming wrath apart from a confession and repentance of sin? When Jesus comes the very first time, it is to bring salvation. When Jesus comes the second time, it will, to, it will be at least in part to bring God's holy, righteous Just wrath against all sin and unrepentant sinners. To not come to faith in Christ means then that there is no escape from the wrath to come. As 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10 says, it is Jesus who delivers from the wrath to come. And if you do not come in repentance of sin, if you do not turn to Christ for your salvation, who told you that you could escape the wrath to come, John says. Repentance then is the call. Look in verse 8, therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Same word as last week. A change of mind that leads to a change of action. A sorrow over sin that leads us to practical righteousness. Church, don't miss it. True repentance will always bear what? In verse 8, it will always bear fruits. True repentance is more than just feeling bad about one's sin. True repentance is more than just saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is moving away from sin and toward righteousness. Repentance has feet to it, if you will, in that if you are truly repentant, there will be practical steps taken to move you from sin toward Christ. It is taking most seriously the call of Matthew chapter 5 and verse 29 to tear out the eye that makes you stumble. It is taking seriously the call of Matthew chapter 5 and verse 30 to cut off the hand that makes you stumble. It is taking the Puritan John Owen and his admonition seriously. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. It is making warfare, repentance is. It's making warfare against our sin. Doing the necessary things to pluck it out, to cut it off, to rid it from your life if it causes you to stumble in sin. Church, the defining mark of a true believer, the defining mark of a true believer is not that they will attain perfection in this life. The defining mark of the believer is that when they sin, they will confess and repent. We are not perfect this side of heaven. We fight. We wage war. We desire holiness in our lives. But the idea here, bound up in bearing the fruits of repentance, is that when we sin, We are constantly turning away from sin to Christ. The the idea here is not that of perfection. The idea is direction. Are you moving ever away from sin and toward Christ? We will be perfect one day, saints. Sin will be no more. Oh, what a day. But until that day, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. John MacArthur said this, those who claim to know Christ, who claim to be born again, will demonstrate a new way of living that corresponds to the new birth. Church, are you a regular repenter? Again, not a one-time thing to get into heaven, to get your get-out-of-hell card, but are you, is your life marked by repentance? Do you take practical steps to move away from sin and toward Christ. And before we look lastly, let me just caution us about something here. That just talking about one's sin, even just confessing rightly one's sin is not the same as repentance. Even getting among other believers in a small group situation, and just talking about our sin, that's not the same as repentance. We might verbally kind of get that out there and maybe momentarily feel better because for a moment we kind of got this weight off of our back, but that's not repentance. Repentance bears fruits an ongoing fruit. Beloved, we have to make war against it. We have to fight for holiness. It will not come naturally it will not come easily to bear fruit third truth of those who are genuinely born again they deny family heritage as a means of salvation they deny family heritage as a means of salvation look in verse 9 Do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, John's talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. At the beginning of verse 9, John anticipates a very well-known and oft-used argument. Because being from Israel, being from that land, being a national Jew, being descendant From Abraham for all Jewish people. But then particularly the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders of that day. That was a source of great pride. Great pride. And they put stock, great stock, great hope and great security in being descendants of Abraham. And so then their argument would go something like this. We are Abraham's descendants. All of God's covenant promises come through Abraham to us. We are safe in God's covenant that God has made based solely on who we are. It's Abraham's descendants. John anticipates that response from the Pharisees and Sadducees. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. We're Abraham's descendants. We're safe we're good. We descended from the right guy, therefore we are right with God. And John says, absolutely not. Absolutely not. John makes clear what all of Scripture teaches from Genesis to Revelation, but what the Pharisees and Sadducees fail to see. That being a physical descendant of Abraham means nothing, and only faith in God saves. Turn to Romans chapter 9, just a couple places. Romans chapter 9, I want to cement this in our hearts. Romans chapter 9, verses 6 to 8. And then we'll build on that, just a couple verses in Galatians. Romans chapter 9, now to verse 6. He says earlier in verse 4, just as you're turning there, that the Israelites are given the adoption as sons, the glory of the covenants. Then verse 6, it's not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. Don't say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. Nor are they all children, children of God, because they are Abraham's descendants. Through Isaac, your descendants will be named. That is It is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God. But the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. And then turn to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, maybe a commentary in Galatians 3 on what you just read in Romans 9. Galatians chapter 3, look down to verse 6. Galatians 3, verse 6 Even so, Abraham believed God, believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. How is Abraham made right with God? Through faith. That's how Abraham is made right with God. Verse 7, therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. And then the last verse of the chapter, verse 29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. What does all this mean? And why John's rebuke to the Pharisees? Family heritage cannot save. Only faith in God through Christ saves. Don't say to yourselves, I grew up in the right family. Don't say to yourselves, I've got the right family lineage. God formed man in Genesis 2 from the dust of the ground. If it's just about being a physical descendant, John says, see those stones right there? He can make those stones physical descendants of Abraham. That's nothing. It's not about that though. Because those who are truly children, those who are truly Israel, have come to faith in Christ Friend, hear me, you cannot rely on the faith of another to make you right with God. You cannot rely on the faithfulness of your mother, your grandmother. I cannot rely on the faithfulness of my grandfather who preached God's word for some 65 years. You are not right with God through family lineage, but only through Christ. And if you do not heed this... Pay attention to the warning in verse 10. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit, meaning fruit of repentance, is cut down and thrown into the fire. There's a warning here, saints. Lest we think that this is no big deal. Lest we think that we don't have to heed this warning. Lest we think that I can somehow get by on my own merit, my own Parents merit their faith. Cannot. When Christ comes, He comes with an axe in His hand to chop down every tree that does not bear the good fruit of repentance. And there's a promise here of an eternal fire, an eternal judgment, an eternal hell for all those who do not come in repentance of their sins. J.C. Ryle said this is a fitting way for us to end. This again is a teaching which is deeply important. We need to be straightly warned that it is no light matter whether we repent or not. We need to be reminded that there is a hell as well as a heaven and an everlasting punishment for the wicked as well as everlasting life for the godly. We are fearfully apt to forget this. We talk of the love and mercy of God And we do not remember sufficiently his justice and holiness. Let us be very careful on this point. It is no real kindness to keep back the terrors of the Lord. It is good for us all to be taught that it is possible to be lost forever and that all unconverted people are hanging over the brink of the pits. And so the message is repent. Repent before it is eternally too late. As long as it is called today, come to Christ. You are not promised tomorrow. Saints, If you are in Christ this morning. We've sung about it this morning. We've celebrated it this morning. The truth of Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, that it is the kindness of God that has led you to repentance. If you are in Christ this morning, if you have repented of your sins, if you are walking with the Lord, that's God's kindness to you. We didn't figure it out on our own. We didn't accrue enough spiritual points to, to, to get this gift. God, through his kindness, gave it. Listen, as always, the call to us is to respond to the word of God. Are we rightly confessing and publicly identifying with Christ? Are we demonstrating ongoing fruit of repentance? Are we denying family heritage or any other thing as a means of salvation? Praying for the Spirit to work in our hearts in this matter and to help us respond in obedience to him. Let's pray together. Well, God, thank you for your word and the ongoing call here of God, that we're we're to repent. Father, we are to turn from our sin always. God, we are to say the same things about our sin as you do. Father, we're not to gloss over it. We're not to water it down. God, our sin separates us from you. It It is of grave seriousness. So, God, I don't, I don't know how you intend to work this into the hearts of those in these pews. God, I pray that by your Spirit in them, that by your Spirit given to them, God, that you would work this into their hearts. Father, we are not home yet. We have the hope that we will be. We have the hope that one day sin will be vanquished and we'll sin no more. God, until that day, help us to fight faithfully, diligently against our sin, always seeking to bear the fruit of repentance. God, thank you for your kindness. Help us to not think lightly of your kindness. Help us to not treat your grace to us as cheap, Father, the gift of faith and repentance has come because Jesus laid down His life for us. It cost Jesus His life. Father, may we take sin so seriously in our hearts and be those who rightly deal with it. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Church, as we... (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.